Fantastic. Thank you, Josh. Good morning, Real Life. How's everyone doing? That's good. Very good to hear. Uh, I love it that uh, whenever my brother invites me to be a part of the uh, Real Real Life service, he leaves. So we can read into this a couple of ways. He either really trusts me with whatever is going to take place today, or he doesn't want to be held accountable (laughs) for whatever takes place today. And uh, that's why he's given it to you, Josh, I would say. Uh, So the few little uh, things that uh, Michael's obviously teed the team up here. I walked through the door and uh, was greeted as slotty uh, by uh, several people, which is great. I love that. Thank you, Michael. Uh, You can't really do melotty, can you? Melotty. Uh, but I just keep reminding people that, uh, you know, I'm type 2.0, he's type 1.0. Uh, so fine, my mum and dad worked out all the mistakes they made in round one and uh, went round two. But we'll leave out that they kept going till round five. Uh, it doesn't work in my favour to give all that information, does it? Hey, I'm really uh, excited to uh, be sharing the word with you guys this morning. I've been uh, on a journey this year that has uh, tried to cover as much as New South Wales as I could, uh, visiting churches and youth ministries, encouraging people uh, that the uh, the younger generation that's coming through is a generation that uh, will, I'll put it this way, when God looks at the church, he doesn't see one age group. Uh, when God looks at the church, he says, I'm the father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so it's not saying that one generation or one age group is more important than the other. It's not. It's just having a, having a a value on all the age groups. It's loving on the little people and loving on the youth and loving on uh, the, the the family age and all the stages of life that that might include, right through to uh, the ages that we might say are our more senior. But I don't see anyone in that category this morning. Excellent, fantastic, all very young. So I just want to encourage you, every time you have an opportunity to encourage the life of a young person, take that chance. Because I know that our world is filled with young people who are living in so many ways in just confusion, not really knowing which way to go. But you know what they listen to? They listen to voices of encouragement. And I'm telling you, there's voices of encouragement out there. We think about how the enemy works. The enemy doesn't work uh, by, uh, if you're a faithful person, you're following Jesus, the enemy works by coming against you. But if you're not a faithful person, the enemy works by luring you away from the great things that God has for you. And so we need a loud voice in the church, and it's not one that's condemning. Uh, Sometimes it has to be convicting, but it's never condemning. Pardon me. It's always one that is encouraging young people to see the truth of who God is. And I'm telling you, God's good. Hey, come on. God's good. It is the very best life that any young person could ever have to follow Jesus Christ. The very best life that anyone could ever have is to truly know who God is. Because when you truly know who God is, you have an opportunity opportunity to truly know who you are. And that removes a whole lot of confusion. I can't be someone that condemns the action of a young person because unless there's a voice speaking into their world that has got that God flavor in it, well, why wouldn't they go those other directions? You know what I'm saying? In Acts chapter 4, I think it was, I never say, you know what I'm saying. I just heard that come out of my mouth. You know what I'm saying? That's not me. Anyway, so Acts chapter 4, Peter and John rock up at the, at the uh, temple and there's a the cripple guy. Is that Acts chapter 4? Do you know your Bibles? Is that Acts chapter 4? I'm looking for the theologians. Where are they? Acts chapter 4. Let's go with that. Peter and John rock up to the temple to go in to pray for 3 o'clock prayers. You'll all be here for that this afternoon. Fantastic. So that's what they did. And on the way in, they see a crippled guy. This isn't in my notes, so please don't start my preaching time. A crippled guy is sitting there by the gate. And the crippled guy who has been crippled from birth, 
Plymouth, the Bible says, looks up at them and says, can I please have some money? Now, here's the thing. If you're a crippled guy, the thing that you need is not money. The thing that you need is to be able to walk. But if you've only ever lived your life with a perspective from a crippled position, you're going to start to reach out for the things that you think will improve your life. And so we live in a generation where there's young people that live from this perspective. And why would we condemn them for reaching out to the things that look like are the things that are going to bring some value into their life? I can't condemn that bloke. I can't say, mate, you, you, you shouldn't be asking for money. You should be asking for a, a miracle. Well, how does he know he's going to get that? All he's ever experienced is life from that perspective. And I love that what Peter and John did, they said, well, I know you think you're asking for the thing that you need, but what you think you need, we don't even have. Greatest moment where the, you know, they celebrated their poverty. Ah, we don't even have that. We don't feel any pressure to give you the thing that you think you need because we can't even provide it. And you know what? You can't provide what this world needs. You don't have the resources. You don't have the skills or the ability or the talent. You don't have all that, but someone does, and his name is Jesus. And he says, we don't have silver or gold, which is the thing you're asking for, but what we have, we'll give it to you. And he leans in. And what does he do? He, he leans in. And I love this bit. The Bible says he leans in and he connects his hand to the crippled man. If you want to be a church that truly values the generations, you've got to connect your hand to them. You've got to connect to the cripple. You've got to be there to hold the hand of the one who doesn't see things the way you see them. You've got to be there to reach out and take that hand. And this is what I love about the Bible. It doesn't just say random statements. It says strategic statements. And the Bible literally says that Peter took him by the hand. And then it says this, and as he did. See, I know where the miracle comes from. It comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. But in this story, we're told that that miracle was experienced by that man when Peter took him by the hand. And as he did, the Bible says, the man stood to his feet and immediately his whole world was changed. Hey, I'm telling you, God's got the power to change the life of any single person that you know in your world. There is no one that is out of the reach of Jesus Christ to do a miracle that supernaturally changes their life. Not one person. But we need a church right across New South Wales and beyond that is willing to reach their hand out and take the hand of the cripple. Willing, just again and again and again. Come on, come on, stir it up. Yeah. I'll preach better. I'll preach better if you clap. I don't think you're clapping for me. I know you're clapping for Jesus. That's good. It encourages me too, though. That's, if I say you're clapping for Jesus, you're more inclined to do it. If I say you're clapping for me, you're like, no way. We don't want you to get proud. We've got to keep you humble, mate. Smile at me. In 2008, okay, now you can start my time. Now I'm going to preach. If all you've done is take notes so far and all you got was that pre, pre-preach message, that's fine. I don't mind if you have a little rest now. But if you're willing, stay with me. In 2008, the world was rocked by the GFC. You remember that terminology, the GFC? It was a big deal back about a decade ago. And it was a massive deal right across the world. In a moment, what, what was coming uh, for 
decades before anyone really knew, really happened in a moment that no one was expecting. In 2008, what took place was, the, as I said, the global financial crisis. And what actually happened in that moment was thousands of people across the world, thankfully Australia, who had a different system to a lot of the world, escaped much of this. But so many economies around the world crumbled. That doesn't just mean that governments fell over uh, or, or whole nations' economies crumbled. What it means is that people who had put their entire life savings into certain areas completely saw, saw all of that completely dissolve in a moment. What it means is that people that saw something that was rock solid or what they believed to be, something that they were certain was going to be there tomorrow, they woke up the next day and it was just not there. Now, I don't understand this because I've played Monopoly my whole life. And if you're the banker, you know this. The bank doesn't go bankrupt. Unless you're the banker that uh, <laughs> keeps yourself. <laughs> See, I understand the logic of these people. They, they were so confident to be able to put their, their life savings into these areas because they would never seen these areas fall over before. They could be so confident and yet... They simply, these entire life savings dissolved before their eyes. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what that would feel like. It's not just, you know, it's not just in a financial area because this type of thing happens in life in so many areas. That moment where whatever you believe to be rock solid, certain, absolute, guaranteed, will be here tomorrow and then you wake up the next day and it's no longer there. You know what? This happens in relationships. This happens in jobs. This happens in so many different areas of life and it's happened all over history. Uh, This means, this is what it means. It means if any of us here this morning are building our lives upon the relationships that we have, If you're building the life and the security and the strength of your life on the social status that you have, on the good health that you're currently experiencing, on the job security that you hold, on the self-belief that you have in your own ability to get things done, on anything else that this world can give you, if you're building the future of your life upon any of those things, you're building your life upon something that is unstable and there's no guarantee behind it. You know, we think, well, what about our faithfulness towards God? Isn't our faithfulness towards God something that we can build our life upon? Friends, if your, relation, if your revelation of God's faithfulness towards you is based on your faithfulness towards Him, then that is one of the most unstable and unreliable structures to build your faith upon. I love this scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are unfaithful, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny who He is. I love this thought about, well, if I can just follow the path, if I can remain faithful to God, I often think about this. Imagine if God's faithfulness towards us was a reflection of our faithfulness towards Him. That's a scary thought. I don't want to think about that. And so we can't build our life on any of these things that we're building upon. And so we've got these options around us. This is a good looking rock. That's a nice looking rock. And over here, we've got this structure. It's a little bit taller. It looks good. And let's say that this represents everything else but this good looking rock. And if you're building your life on any of those things that I just spoke about before, it might look good. It might look like something that's going to stand forever. Although this tower, Hayden, 
Doesn't actually look like it's going to stand forever. It's not quite symmetrical, Hayden. You probably rushed it a little bit, but I didn't give you much time. But see, this is what it takes. Who likes Jenga? Uh, anyone know the name Jenga? We're going to play a bit of Jenga. This is what this tower looks like. And so much of what this world offers us is found in this structure. And I'm going to take one of these building blocks from the bottom. And it doesn't actually matter where I take it from. Let's say I take it from here. This is, this is building my life on finances. This is building my life on relationships. This is building my life on the social structures and the status that I have. This is building my life on what I think the, the dreams that I have for the future. This, this on anything that the world has to offer me, that's the result. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You should, because I'm going to give you a scripture that is going to build confidence in your world. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says this, He, speaking of God the Father, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything He does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright He is. Friends, our God is not just a rock. Our God is the rock. Our God is immovable. Our God is unshakable. Our God is not a swayed by the opinions of men. Therefore, he can never be corrupted. Our God is a God that gives strength to those who are weak. Our God is a God who gives courage to those who live in fear. Our God is a God that you can stand upon regardless of what ability or strength you have in your life, knowing that he is never going to fall. For the three of you that are inspired by that, I want to say, come on. This rock that is perfect and just and fair, I want you to consider this for a moment. This scripture says he can do no wrong. He's just in all of his actions. Do you know this rock had the authority and the right based on even our own legal systems to come in and crush all of humanity? He could have. And he would have been justified in it, but he chose not to. Instead, he chose to place this rock in the center of a humanity that is falling on all these other things that they're building their life upon and, say, and, and just to place that in the middle and say, you know what, even in your wickedness, even in your failure, even in your disobedience, if you would just climb upon the rock, then you too can live unswayed by the opinions of men. If you would climb upon the rock, then you too can live immovable. If you can climb upon the rock, then you can live unshakable. If you can climb upon the rock, then you can live not full of fear, but full of courage. If you can climb upon the rock, you don't live weak, you live strong. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. He is the rock. If all you take away from this conversation that we're having this morning is that the God that we serve is a, is a rock that will never be shaken and never be moved and all you have to do your entire life is cling to that rock. If that's all you take from it, then that's all you need from this morning. If you're going to stay in the conversation, we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper. Let me give you one more, uh, a couple more scriptures that will just continue to encourage you. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 8 says this, Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You here at Real Life Church Maitland are my witnesses. This isn't for people written thousands of years ago. This is for you sitting here this morning. Is there any other God? No. I love it when God answers his own questions, just in case you were wondering the answer was different. No, there is no other God. There is no other rock, not one. 
the number one thing, the thing that you can take away from this conversation this morning is that if all you do in your life is find yourself standing on that rock, that's enough. It's enough for you to just find yourself on this rock. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 32 says this, Who but our God is a solid rock. When you say that, you've got to say it like, yeah, Brian Houston, welcome to conference. You know what that truth, that truth should build a confidence within you, a confidence that's not daunted by the realities of this life. But I want to get real with you this morning at Real Life Church. And I want to say that even though this great truth and this great reality in the sanctuary of these four walls can stir me with that confidence, the reality is my life is not lived like the feeling that I have when I'm in a church service. My life is actually lived outside of this building from Monday to Saturday. I come to this building every single week, not because it's a building, but because it's the God's people joined together. But the reality is my life is lived outside of these four walls in the job that I have and the family that I'm a part of and so on. And so here's the truth for you. The truth about God's faithfulness to be a rock that doesn't change doesn't impact or change your health. The truth that God will be a faithful rock forever doesn't change the current state of your relationships. The truth about God being uh, faithful in all things and true in all things, it doesn't change your job status. It doesn't change your financial position. It doesn't change a myriad of other things that you experience that cause emotions like frustration and doubt and fear and anxiety and all of these other areas. Aren't you glad you came this morning? We went from cheering and being excited and said, yes, I want that, I love that, I love that too. Mm, no, I don't want to, no, no, no. See, the incredible truth that God is the eternal rock that will be standing far longer than I'm standing for doesn't bring a magical change to all the situations in my life that are causing me frustration or fear and anxiety or whatever at this point in my life. And so the question that we need to ask this morning is, what do we do with that truth then? What do we do with the truth that God is the eternal rock? Let me tell you this this morning. Like most revelations about God, they may not change the current situations that we find ourselves in, but the revelations of who God is, they change us. So this morning, you might walk out of the doors, back into the situation you were in before you came into this building, but my prayer is that you would walk out, not with the situations changed, but with you changed. My prayer is that like all the revelations about God, often they don't change the situation, but they change you. They make you a different person. And when you're made into the person that God has designed you to be, then often you see your situations with a different perspective the way God intends us to. So that's what I want to speak about this morning, how God changes us through this revelation. See, most of us in this room have a way of evaluating the success of our life based on the outcomes of the experiences that we're currently having. Generally, we have a way of evaluating our life based on this question. Did I reach what I set out to achieve? Somewhere within the success measure, failure measure of our life, it sort of fits around that question. Am I doing what I set out to do? Now, that makes sense. When I was 17, I went for my license and uh, my P-plate driving test when I turned 17. And on the first attempt, I passed with flying colours. Goal achieved, great success. Now, here's the thing. When you're 17, you just pump. That's the best. That's like the biggest goal you could ever achieve. But, you know, there's a bigger goal that comes after you get your license. 
And that's keeping your license. So based on that first goal that I'd set, I got that. And I think it was about four weeks later. No, it was about eight weeks later. I got two infringements in one week. Two infringements in five days. Lost my license for three months. Goal not achieved. Failure. Now, it is logical to live your life evaluating on outcomes. And if you don't have an outcome-based logic in your world, you might find yourself repeating similar mistakes that you have developed a pattern in that is actually the thing that's causing your frustration. So this is a very logical and smart thing to do. Hence, I have yet to be booked again since that day when I was 17. Great success. Now, I'm not saying that I haven't been pulled over. Just thankful for the gracefulness of some policemen out there. And today, knowing that I was going to be talking about not being booked again, I uh, drove very slowly here because I thought, okay, God, here's a great opportunity for you to humble me in front of a mass of people. There's got to be logic in living this outcome-based way. So it has a place in our lives, except I'm going to say to you this morning that outcome-based evaluation cannot be the only way we determine the success or failure of our lives. And the reason why is if we took that evaluation system and placed it on the biblical characters that we hold up as heroes, our logic-based, outcome-based evaluation of them would change the way we saw their lives. Let's take Joseph for a moment. Joseph knew he was called by God to lead his family only to be sold into slavery. If we were basing his experience on an outcome-based evaluation, we would not be saying, great success, Joseph. Good on you, mate. He went from being thrown into jail, sorry, thrown into slavery to thrown into jail. This does not look like a man who's going onward and upward in the calling that God's placed on his life. This looks like a man who, if we did not know the end of the story, and now this is the problem, we know the end of the story. You would never call Joseph a failure. Why? Because you know that God did a miracle, a supernatural miracle in his life. 20 years after he had that first experience of being sold into slavery was more than 20 years till his family actually got reunited with him. Because you know that, you would never say Joseph was a failure. However, if you pursue something in your own life for like 10 years and you don't see traction in it, you can quite easily see yourself as a failure. But you don't know the end of your story. You don't know the God-designed outcome. You don't know the things that God has planned. So outcome-based evaluation, let's keep going. Let's keep going with this. Uh, uh, David, he's another legend of the faith that we uphold and we say he's one of the heroes. David gets anointed to be king of Israel, does some miraculous thing with the hand of God and then spends a whole almost decade of his life running from a man who's trying to kill him. He finds himself with accommodation in a cave surrounded by people who are running from their past. I promise you, if you were giving Christian counsel to David, you'd be saying, David, I just want to encourage you. I think it's time you got some new accommodation and some new mates. Yet David was exactly where God wanted him to be right at that point in his life. 
What, what, what about Abraham? He's another man that uh, if we looked at him, we would say, oh, sorry, let's go to Moses first. He's an easy one. He does these miraculous things, ends up in a desert where obviously he was surrounded by people who were evaluating him based on outcomes. And they were constantly saying, Moses, this sucks. Or in other words, Moses, you suck. Evaluating on outcomes cannot be the only way you look at every situation in your life. We could go on all day. Abraham, like I said, promised to follow God, to build a nation, can't even father anyone. We would say, or the people of the day, or if you didn't know the end of the story, it would be easy to say failure. Let me go one step. Let me go the furthest step that I can go with you this morning to drive this encouraging truth home. If we evaluated outcomes or evaluated success based on outcomes, then we'd look at Jesus Christ and we'd say, failure. Because Jesus Christ came and promised something that he was going to do and then only in a short space of time he was nailed to a cross. He was killed on that cross. He was taken down and he was put into a tomb and a stone was rolled across it and darkness closed him in. And you say, that's blasphemous. I've never looked at Jesus that way. I never would. Hey, folks, what did all the disciples do on that day? What did they do? They ran. They bailed. They said, oh, my goodness, this is over. we got to get out of here. And these guys are a representation of who we were. Sometimes we look at them, we go, oh, I'd never act like that. I reckon they're looking at us going, heck, you guys have the full story. We didn't. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be. You do, and sometimes... You still respond that way. The great news that I actually have for you this morning, and we just had to go through that bit of tension to get there. If you're still with me, we're coming out of the valley. We're getting to the mountaintop. You're not going to go home disappointed and upset or or greater frustrated this morning because I want to tell you this morning that when heaven looks at our lives, heaven is not evaluating our success based on the outcomes or the situations that we might currently be experiencing. All of the names that I've brought up are actually a Revelation that heaven uses a completely different evaluation system for the lives of those that are following Jesus. I'm excited to tell you today that heaven isn't looking at your situations right now and deciding whether or not you're a success or failure to God. Heaven's not looking at you like that. Heaven's lens for evaluating our success is never going to be outcome-based. So the question is, what is heaven looking for? When heaven looks at our lives and based on the characters that we've just brought up from the Bible this morning, what is heaven looking for? Stay with me. Write this one down. Heaven is not focused on the outcomes. Heaven is focused on faithfulness. Can I tell you this morning that heaven isn't evaluating your success based on the situation that you're in. Rather, heaven's evaluating your success based on your willingness to be faithful in whatever situation you're in. Heaven isn't evaluating your success based on how much you have. All heaven cares about is you're willing to be faithful with whatever you have. The only framework that heaven is using to determine our success on this earth is faithfulness. Can we go even deeper with this? Anyone still with me? 
If you have checked out, that's fine. I hope you've got something good so far. Matthew chapter 25, we read about a generous master who doesn't need to, but chooses to give his own money to the servants that are in his household. He gives three servants different amounts. And he says, off you go, gents, do your thing. And so these men go off and they start, uh, the first two, they invest uh, in what they see as a profitable outcome and they go for it. The third one, as you know, buries that gift that he's been given and puts it in the ground, does nothing with it. When the master returns, he calls his servants together and evaluates them. And I love that where this Matthew chapter 25 passage gets to, because see, quite often we evaluate ourselves based on what others are doing and the success of others. And we look at our own life and we see, well, I'm not quite like them or I'm not living up to them or any of those type of scenarios. This is a great passage to reveal to us that God is not looking us that way because in verse 21 and verse 23, he calls the two servants together, the first two, and he gives them the exact same response. One had five talents, one had two talents, one had one large sum, the other had a lesser sum, but they both get exactly the same response from the master. Matthew chapter 25 says this, the master, verse 23 on the screen, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and successful servant. Well done, my good and high profit yielding servant. Well done, my servant that was given something and went and did something unbelievable with it. You know what? I would expect that that would be what the master would say, but he doesn't say that. The Bible is very intentional about what the words that the master chooses to use here. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say you've been successful. He says you've been faithful with what you've been given. And because you were willing to be faithful with it, there's more ahead for you. Not because you were successful with it. You go, yeah, but they were successful with it. Did you know what this, this parable actually reveals to us? It doesn't reveal that God is looking for people who are able to turn a profit. No, it looks, it's saying God is looking for people that are willing to see whatever they've been given and say, this is good enough for me to do something with. If my master sees me as someone that is worthy enough to be given something, then I'm worthy enough to do something with it. I want you to know this morning that your master has seen you worthy of giving you something. And my encouragement to you this morning is that don't sit back and feel like, oh, I'm going to get judged on my failure or success based on the outcome. No, all he wants to see from you is that you actually see what he's been given or what you've been given as worthy of putting to use. He doesn't actually criticize. The the only reason he criticizes the third servant is because he buried it He said, you didn't have to turn a great profit. He said, you should have just put it in the bank and got interest. I would have been happy with that. Doesn't he? Are you still with me? I don't know if any of us long to hear any other words at the end of the day, except for well done, good and faithful servant. I don't think any of us are hoping to get to the end and go, well, I hope I get a bigger mansion than someone else. I don't think there's much theology in that. All we want to hear is the words, well done, good and faithful servant. What do we do with this revelation? Maybe the keyboarder can come and join me just to help me land this. This is what you do. The way this plays out in your day-to-day life is this. All of us are in a similar situation to those three servants that were given something. Meaning, all of us are waiting for the master to return. 
all of us are in exactly that situation. And just like Joseph, he was waiting in a prison cell. David was waiting in a cave. Moses was waiting in the desert. Abraham was waiting for the promise. Here's your takeaway. If you're taking notes, write this down. I don't know if it's on the screen. I can't remember if I put it there. But this is a thought that will help you. And here it is. What? Stay with me. I know they're a very attractive band. But stay with me because if you miss this, you're missing gold. What I do while waiting for God to do what only He can do reveals my expectation of whether or not I believe He's actually going to do it. It's too much, isn't it? It's too long. I need to shorten that. I'll work on that. I'll say it again. What I do while waiting for God to do what only He can do actually reveals my expectation of whether or not I truly believe God's going to do it. That's good gear. I'll shorten it down for you. My behavior reveals my revelation of God's promise to be faithful. That's better, isn't it? Just shorten it down a bit. Yeah, that's, that's much more concise. Good. How I live in the current situation that I'm in actually reveals my personal revelation on the faithfulness of God. I'm so grateful and thankful that, you, that we celebrated that and we clapped about it earlier. But you know what? It's actually not about getting a revelation while we're sitting in the seed of the sanctuary. It's actually about living this revelation on Monday to Saturday. All of us are waiting for God to do something that only He could do. All of you in this room are waiting for God to do a miracle in one way or another. It might be the fulfillment of the dream. It might be a need for work. It might have something to do with your health. Highly likely that there is relationships in your world that many of you are believing for God to do something in. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Because of Jesus Christ and what He did and rising from the dead, which is the ultimate enemy that you and I will ever face. Because of that, you and I can live with a great expectation. What's expectation? Expectation is a strong belief that something will happen. What's great expectation? Great expectation is living convinced that what you're believing for will happen. There's a great distinction there. This means that my behavior in the waiting isn't a reflection of what's happening in the waiting. This means that the way I live Monday to Saturday is not a reflection of what's going on in my world Monday to Saturday. If I live according to that, then I'm living like everyone else. But if I live with the revelation, or if I live out the great expectation I have that Jesus Christ is who He said He was and did what He said He would do and will continue to, then my behavior will reflect that. So many of us are going to evaluate our success in life based on our current experience, not the great outcome that God has decided. You know, when you live that way, can make you feel like a failure or even worse, can somehow make you feel like God's failed you. Have you ever seen those 
sporting events where I'm talking about a big stadium filled with people. I love football, so let's go there. Got a massive stadium filled with people. And what happens is sometimes one team dominates the other. And so one team goes miles behind on the scoreboard. So much so that the fans of that team that are now losing decide, I've seen enough. I can't take it anymore. Much like my experience of following the Newcastle Knights. We're all in this together, people. Let's not give up. But what can sometimes happen is they get up and they leave the stadium. And you hear the crowd of the other team. Oh, they love that moment. They give the, the Bronx cheers. Hey, na, 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 goodbye. They're like, see you later, folks. But you know what happens sometimes? Sometimes miracles happen on the sporting field. Sometimes things take place on the sporting field that are unexplainable. And sometimes what happens is a team that was absolutely out of the contest, so much so that their own fans started leaving the auditorium, sometimes that team starts to come back. And then what happens is the team resurges and miraculously they take the victory. And they are celebrating on the field. And the fans that stayed are erupting. But you know what? There's people driving home in their cars and they're not experiencing any of it. Imagine if you were that close to experiencing something miraculous. But you decided, no, I can't see how this is going to turn around. I'm going to leave the building. Friends, my encouragement to you this morning is not to live according to the faithfulness that you might have. Don't live according to the situation or the circumstance that you're currently experiencing. You've got to live according to something way more solid than that. Otherwise, you might become one of those fans that leave the building before the victory is experienced. You find yourself in a jail cell, and I don't mean, I mean figuratively. You find yourself in a cave, you find yourself in a desert, you find yourself waiting on a promise, and you're finding yourself in a situation that God allowed many men and women to be in the past for His great outcome and their great reward. What's my encouragement to you today? My encouragement to you today is to cling to the rock. When the storm, when the challenge, when the frustration, when the emotion, when the depression, when the anxiety, whatever it is, just hold on tight. Because I can tell you this, no matter what happens in this life, that rock's never going to move. That rock's never going to change. That rock is going to be there for all of eternity. And if you're clinging to the rock, then you will be victorious for all of eternity. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you so much for the great revelation of your love for us. It's not about what we can do or what we, are, or what we have done. It's all about what you have done and what you promise you will do. And I am so thankful for that this morning. Jesus, I know that in a crowd of people this size, there would be those that are right now struggling with the situation that they find themselves in. Lord, instead of experiencing the promise that you have spoken over them, they're in that process that sometimes happens where they feel surrounded by the cave and by the, the people running from their past. They feel surrounded by uh, that jail cell or they're waiting for that promise, just like many of these characters that we brought up from your word. And Lord God, I just ask this morning, 
that you would bring a great strength into their heart and into their lives, one that encourages them, or, or let me say it like this, one that fills them with great courage to be able to just hold on to that rock. Just while you got your eyes closed there this morning, if there's, for those that are here and if you were truly honest today, you, you would say, you know what, my life's actually a, probably a, a representation of what's going on on the left-hand side of that platform with those Jenga blocks on the ground. <laughs> if you're really honest, you would say, you know, I, I think the reason why my life is not standing strong is because I'm not standing on the rock. I'm building my life on something else. If that's you this morning, then the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is as he came into the world 2,000 years ago, he is still here today with the same invitation, the same request to say, hey, would you repent of the way you've been living? You know, repentance is the most freeing word that any human could ever hear. It truly means to turn away from a life that you've been living on your own, by your own devices, by your own means, by your own ways, building your life on your own wisdom, on your own understanding. He says, would you turn away from that life and just say, you know what, God, I am sorry for living that way. And you get to turn to the way that leads to life. You get to turn to the rock. If that's you this morning, then I would love to extend the invitation that Jesus Christ has extended to you. And maybe you've never heard it this clearly. He's extending it to you this morning. Jesus Christ is literally saying, would you turn from the life that you are living and turn yourself to me? If that's you this morning, then I'd love to pray with you. That's literally how the Bible says that we do this, we invite Jesus Christ into our life. We say, God, I'm going to take a hold of your promise of who you are and the eternity that you give. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Right now, what I'd ask that you do, wherever you're sitting, I just ask that you raise your hand straight in the air and you say, yep, that's me. I, wanna, I don't want to stand on the shaky ground of what this world can offer me anymore or what I can build for myself, I want to stand on the eternal rock. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Great. Thank you, Jesus. Fantastic. All right, Heavenly Father. I just want to again pray your great blessing on the congregation here this morning and that uh, every single one of us, Lord, would walk out of this service this morning with the simplest truth of all, and that is that you are the eternally faithful rock that we can cling to all the days of our life, Lord, successfully, not based on the experiences that we're currently having, rather based on the great expectation that we are living with because of what you have done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lottie. That was awesome. All right. So I hope you got something out of that. That was an incredible message. Incredible message. Thanks, Andy. You're a legend. He come up to me halfway through and goes, do you want me to clean them? I'm like, no, 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 just, just hold up. Not yet, not yet. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to close the service now. Don't forget to pick up your kids. Um, that'll be a good thing. But what we're going to do after the service... Um, Lottie will be up the front and our ministry team will be here as well. If you would like prayer or want to have a chat or anything like that, um, if you were one of the guys that put your hand up, uh, we've got the Connect Lounge up the back where you can see Tammy and the team and 